I do bring you greetings from a connected work which encompasses 22 counties in Ohio that you're a part of. I do rejoice with everything that God is doing here, that God is doing through your lives. I, I want you to know that this connected work is, is reaching people for the cause of Christ. We, uh, in the last two months or so, have planted two brand new churches in the Cleveland area, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of struggle. And uh, we've got about five more churches that uh, are on the docket for us to plant and to start uh, across, uh, across our, our district. Uh, we, we had a goal two years ago to plant five within five years, and we've already planted all five of those. And so it's now kind of coming through a new batch of where is the Lord directing us next and have uh, meetings coming up in the next uh, two weeks to, to kind of figure out our next steps. We know where one of the five is going to be and then kind of paring down where the next four will be. Um, God is doing great things. The two works in Cleveland, one is Aviva Church of the Nazarene in Brooklyn. Um, it is a ministry to the, the Latino community uh, in Cleveland and really excited to see that come together. And the other then is in Strongsville and Strongsville is looking for a place to begin their work as well. So exciting to see things come together. I do also want to say what a great privilege you have had in having Pastor Pete and Rebecca with you for these many years. You are blessed to have a pastoral family that loves you, but most importantly loves Jesus Christ. And that is evident in everything, every interaction that I get to have with them. So could we just thank them today for their service among you? Well, uh, I don't have a funny story to share with you today. I, I don't have some, some interesting story to maybe pique your interest uh, in relation to the topic we're going to talk about today. Because the reality is what we're going to talk about today is serious enough all by itself. Okay? As we begin today, I want us to know um, that the focus of the message is, is for people that have not accepted Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, the, the focus of this message is, is for people that, that, that we as believers should position our lives so that those who haven't accepted Christ could know him. I'd like for us today to start with, with some brief questions as we dive into our topic. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you brought your Bible, digital device, or maybe you've already memorized it. All right? Um, and I'd like for us today to start with some brief questions. And I want you today, as, as we start these questions, I'd like for you to internalize these questions, okay? Because these are deep questions in relation to our spiritual lives. Here they are. You ready? Ready? Here's the first question, okay? Will each person, each person, each of us, will we give an account for our lives when we stand before God? Will each one of us give an account to God when we stand before him? I want you to think about that answer for just a second, and I want you to think about your life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. I want to ask you another question. If you believe in Jesus and accept his salvation, does your personal faith in Jesus grant you eternal life? If you believe in Jesus, accept his salvation, does your personal faith in Jesus grant you eternal life? John 3.16 says, Whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Let me ask you another question. Is heaven real? Is heaven real? Is there really a place with no more tears, no more sorrow, no more crying, where we will live forever together in the presence of God? Is heaven a real place? Revelation 21.7 says those who are victorious will inherit heaven. Let me ask another question. Is hell real? Is there really a place with constant weeping and gnashing of teeth? Is there a place of eternal torment where you are separate from God? Matthew 25, 46 says, then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Two more quick questions. Will people go to hell if they do not know Christ? Will people go to hell if they don't know Christ? One more question. You don't have to answer this one. I just want you to think about it. Do you care if people go to hell? That's a deep Profound question. I'd like for us, if we could, to watch this 50 second video from Penn Gillette, who is a magician, if you're not aware, uh, and uh, also an atheist. Watch this, watch this brief video. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. Isn't that interesting? If you know, he says, and you don't tell someone, how much do you have to, it's a strong word, hate, he says. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it. Let me ask the question another way. And please understand, I'm not, I'm not coming down on you. I'm asking deep theological questions that have profound impact. That, 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 that excuse me, has a profound impact in the way we live our lives. So hear this question. Do you care so much for people that you feel burdened, that you feel a responsibility to do everything you can to make sure that they don't go to hell? Are you asking God to use your life to keep people out of hell? Charles Spurgeon, he said this, and I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said this, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Huh. 
I'm absolutely convinced that our, that our world, our nation, our state, your community, I'm absolutely convinced that they will never find hope until individual Christians get serious about sharing the love of Jesus Christ. I'm absolutely certain of it. You can look at our election cycle, and I will tell you right now that I am so glad that our hope, as your pastor said, does not rest in man. In fact, we don't even have displaced hope where I hope this person will do a better job than this person because the reality is every person is going to fall short. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not displaced hope or misplaced hope. It's Jesus is the only hope that we have. It's interesting that Paul gives us this great plea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to help us understand why we need to be so passionate about telling others. And we'll pick up this plan and this plea in verse 11 of chapter 5. Here's what it says. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to, what's that next word? Persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Paul starts our conversation by telling us that there's this nagging realization for every person, every believer. There's this nagging realization that, wait, one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for my life. now, Now understand... God God tells us that our faith in him doesn't make us a slave again to fear, okay? So I want to make sure we, we get that in the right context. Your faith in God should not make you fear the day that you're going to die and stand before his, his, his throne. Your faith in God should free you from that fear, but it should also motivate you to ensure that you dot I's and you cross T's because I don't want to get it wrong. You know, some, some time ago, three years ago now, I've been district superintendent, was pastoring before that. I had one congregation to pastor, right? Very happy there. Loved my people. I think most of my people loved me, right? Heaven forbid, right? And, uh, and, and, but, but the reality is this. God, for some odd reason, thought Wendell needed to step in this role. And, and hear me, we've got 63 churches on our district, 63 of them. And one day, God's, God's going to say to me, when I stand before the judgment seat of God, he's going to say, Wendell, what'd you do with those 63 churches? Did you just let, let, it, let them exist? Did you just tell them everything's going to be okay? And, and, and it doesn't really matter that there's a world dying out there. Let's just be happy to be together. One day, I'm going to stand before God, and I take that very seriously, that I'm going to give an account for what I've said and for what I've done. It's important to me. I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it. It's interesting that this great plea starts with Paul saying, listen, I know what it's like to make sure I get this right, and I want you to make sure that you get it right too. It's also interesting to me, he says, we're trying to do everything that we can to persuade people to follow Christ because that is the heart of God. The heart of God is for no one to perish. He even said, what we are is plain to you. We're not even trying to hide it. It's all out in the open, what we're trying to do. We're trying to persuade you to know Jesus Christ. Stop and think about that for just a second. Think about every person in your life that does not know Jesus. What if you're going to give an answer for your interactions with them? 
Listen, it's easy to default to things I like to talk about when I meet new people. And I'm looking for common ground, right? I, you you want to talk about a Dodge Hellcat Challenger or any muscle car, I'm in the conversation and I can talk the lingo because I love it. You want to talk about boating, you want to talk about football, I'm all in. Those are all the things that I love to do, right? But the most important thing I can ever talk to you about or anyone about is my faith in Jesus Christ. And every interaction, every moment ought to be overshadowed by the fact that Paul says we're supposed to make the most of every opportunity. We're not supposed to miss a moment. We'll talk about moments in just a second. So let me ask the question, what if that neighbor who does not know Jesus is on your street for a reason? What if? What if God is waiting on you to share Jesus with that family member that everyone is concerned about? Who in your life right now is in your life, maybe at work or the ball field or wherever, who is it in your life right now that does not know Christ that God placed in your life for a reason. I want to give you just a moment, if I could. And I'd like for you to just right now, if you got a pen, if you got your phone, you got your Bible, whatever, uh, and you can write in your Bible if you don't have a piece of paper, I'd like for you right now just to think about three people that are in your sphere of influence right now that you know do not know Jesus Christ. I want to give you, I'm just going to push a pause button here. I want you to think about three people right now that you know do not know Jesus. Make a note of them in your phone, write them in your Bible, write them on a piece of paper. Three people. Give you just a second. Say, maybe I don't have three. I've only got one. Good enough. One. Whoever pops in your mind that you know does not know Jesus, that's in your sphere of influence. Let's go to verse 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 12. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. In other words, the Corinthian church, he's saying, you can reference that we're putting activity in trying to persuade others because you're going to see it's not just in our heart. What's in our heart is finding its fruit in action. We're doing this among you, right in front of you. Verse 13, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. In other words, because we're so passionate about this, so fervent about this, some are going to say that you're out of your mind when you tell them about Jesus. Because you're going to be so passionate about it. Could I just say, oh, that the world could think Christians were out of our minds for the right reasons? What if our love for others was so crazy and so passionate that people thought we were out of our minds? Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Again, Christ's love compels us that Christ died for all. Think about that for just a second. He died for everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, Christ died for you. Look back at them and say, I sure hope he died for you too. (laughs) He died for everyone. That means he died for the people that don't have your political viewpoints. He died for people that we agree with and those we don't. How dare him? He died for those who look like you. And those who don't. 
He died for those that think like you do and those who don't. His love compels us to act because a believer in Jesus Christ realizes it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what your family is. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you're from. The reality is he died for every person that's ever lived, period. Doesn't matter. If Christ's love isn't compelling you, hear me, this is a tough, tough question or tough statement. If Christ's love isn't compelling you to care for others, you have to ask yourself if you've experienced his love. Let me say that again. If Christ's love isn't compelling you to care for others, you have to ask yourself if you've experienced his love. Paul says in verse 15 that those who no longer live, or those who live, they no longer live for themselves. Something happens when you accept Christ. You start to live your life for the one who died for everyone. Your priorities change. It isn't about you. It's all about him. His love compels us to love others. You see, we don't add Christ to our life. Christ becomes our life. Once we find him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer. In other words something happens to the person that's allowed Christ's love to overtake them. They don't see people the way the world does. We should give God praise and glory for that. Because the world says that status makes you worth something. God doesn't say that. The world says that owning that car or that house in that neighborhood means you're worth something. But God doesn't say that. The world says that that person is powerful. And so I need to get to know them because that person can help me advance. God doesn't say that. The world says stay in your classification. Stay in your group. Don't you cross any lines. God doesn't say that. The world says stay away from this person. They've done Whatever. The world says, stay away from that person because they've done that. But but here's the reality. We don't make friends as Christians so that it benefits us. We don't hang out with people so we look a certain way. We don't see people as a means to an end. No, a true believer sees people in need of a savior. Love compels us to see everyone the same. Oh, if the church had this right, some of the battles we're fighting in today's society wouldn't be battles if we got this right and led on it. Huh. I remember Tammy and I, the very first church we ever pastored uh, was a church, um, it had 17 people on my first Sunday and five of them were my family. It was like a huge success that I had shown up to be the pastor, Right? And I think they, so they had 12 people there that were not our family. And the Sunday before, I think they had 20. So it was like a really big deal that I showed up, right? Um, six less on my first Sunday, right? Um, I, I, we, we, uh, we were in Huntsville, Alabama. I grew up in Alabama. We're in Huntsville, Alabama. We're in the worst crime district in 300,000 people. The church is smack dab in the middle of the worst crime district. There are, there are people that live around us that uh, were legal. There were those that were not. There were people that were, were, were not following any legal law most of the time. And then there were some that were trying to be lights in their community. 
we had, uh, we had prostitutes, we had drug deals that went on right outside of the doors of the church all the time. We had a lady who stood up on a Sunday morning, and we'd gotten to know her, her grandkids. She stood up on a Sunday morning, and, and, and in the middle of service, she said, my name is this, and I want to be delivered from an addiction to crack cocaine. She had just come in because of our love for her grandchildren. She was a grandmother addicted to crack. We prayed for her. Do you know that God so miraculously moved? She, in that day, that moment, God absolutely delivered her from addiction. She has never gone back. I know that. I know that. God has done an amazing work in her life. I'll never forget, though, when we got there, okay, and I'm from the South, but there's a little bit of Southern pride that exists. So if y'all aren't from the South, just know a couple of things. You know, in the South, um, if someone says, bless your heart, they may not really mean bless your heart. Just, I just want to make sure you're aware of that, okay? And, uh, and I, I, I pastored a church, again, right smack dab, and for 20 years had pretty much everybody, everybody that went to the church drove there. No one was from the community, okay? And uh, they were sweet people, but they'd never necessarily been guided into what or how they should reach their community. So um, I, I had conversations I had conversations when I first got there with a couple of them that would say things like, do we really want those kind of people coming to church? I mean, bless their heart, Pastor Wendell, but do we really want them here? Yeah, we do. We do. I'll never forget, we came and I went to pick up this 14-year-old girl. Her name was Octavia. 14. We went and I knocked on her door because she was going to come to Christmas musical practice. Sweet girl, smart, intelligent. Could sing, could do it all. As I knocked on her door, uh, she opened the door. And uh, seated on the couch were her mom and, quite honestly, the boyfriend of the month. There was trash all over the apartment floor. Like, I can't even explain to you how awful it was. Uh, from McDonald's wrappers to just, I mean, just nobody bothered to throw anything away. They just threw it on the floor. She, her mother was high as a kite, as well as her boyfriend, and they were watching television. This is in, you know, a little bit ago with tube TVs, Okay. But they were watching television with one TV stacked on top of the other on two different programs with the volume up on both and just staring at it. And I knocked on the door. Octavia came to the door. I said, hey, I'm, I'm here to take Octavia to church. And her mother looked around and said to me, she can't go today. And I said, she can't? Why? She said, because she has to clean her room. I want you to think about that with all the trash that was all over the floor. So um, Octavia cried. She said, I want to come. I'm so sorry. We, uh, we, we continued to reach out to Octavia, had a burden for her. We, uh, we told Octavia that she could have anything in life. She was that kind of a girl. She could have anything in her life. She said, no, I can't. This is at 14. I want you to hear her message. No, I can't. We said, Octavia, you could go to college. You could be anything. She said, no, I can't. She said, don't you see where I'm from? 
She said, don't you see what my family is? Girls like me don't get those kind of opportunities. She'd already been conditioned at age 14 that the world is what the world is. And she was just going to get in line with everything else in the neighborhood. Don't, don't, don't tell me that there are not spiritual forces at work that want to destroy people's lives. Don't tell me. A little 14-year-old girl who should have the world at her, at her feet couldn't manage it. Don't tell me that the person that's in the cubicle next to you at work or on the Zoom call this week, don't tell me that they're not asking real-life questions about what's really going on in the world or even in their lives. They are. It happens even to 14-year-old girls. And don't tell me that they haven't been already conditioned to believe a set of goods which may not be, may not at all have anything to do with the only hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And we know the hope. We know the hope. To say, well, they'll know we're Christians by our love. They'll, they'll know I'm a Christian by the way that I act, and that is true. But I will contend to you that they cannot hear unless someone tells them. I'll contend to you they can't. Huh. Well, with Christ, it isn't what someone is. With Christ, it's what they can become. I, I, you know, the world likes to destroy anyone who has made a bad, uh, you know, in our culture today, you make one gaffe or one statement that doesn't match the, the thought police and your life is over. And I, that sure, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't treat us that way, aren't you? That boy, there's lots of chances with Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. Well, let's go to the next verse. I promise I'm only going to talk for the next 50 or 60 minutes. It'll be fine. All right. Um, I'm just kidding by the way. I'm supposed to laugh. It's going to be an hour and a half. Don't worry. I'm just kidding. Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. We all have the potential for new life in Christ. It isn't what divides us, it is that he unites us. And the blood of Jesus is our unifying force. We see people not in relation to their past, but in relation to their potential future. Every church, every Christian ought to be the, at the front of the line, no matter how despicable or awful someone has been, if they've claimed faith in Jesus Christ, every believer ought to be at the front of the line saying, yay God, we believe in you. He can do it. Keep looking to him. Instead of, well, I don't know if that's going to stick or not. I don't know if that's real. Deion Sanders, um, I, you know, I've done this little tragedy and a triumph thing for all these years, and, and Deion Sanders said something that I it just, it, when he came to speak at tragedy, that just, uh, that just has forever lived in my mind. Deion Sanders tried to commit suicide. Tried to commit suicide. And the reality is he, he, he was destroyed inside. Had no hope. And he said this, he said, when I became a believer because of my flamboyancy, he said, when I became a believer, no one in the church actually believed I was a Christian. And then he asked this question, he said, why didn't the church believe me? I needed them. I needed them. We ought to be the ones at the first of the line believing that the old is gone and the new has come. How many of you have been saved by the grace of God and you're so glad you don't have a past anymore? Because that's me, right? 
we ought to be at the front of the line. Huh. As you look at people, see their potential, not their problems. Position anger in the right direction because I know people hurt you, but if you become bitter, the enemy wins. And if you choose love, God wins. So Christians shouldn't hold grudges. We should position our anger at the right, in the right direction towards the enemy, right? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 18, 19, and 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself Christ through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through you and I. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is in the business of not counting people's sins against them. That should be the business of every person that calls on the name of Christ. That job description of being the ambassador of Jesus Christ has been given to every person who believes in him. Christians ought to be the first ones to see potential instead of problems. We ought to be the first ones to love when the world sees hate. Christ is making his appeal from now on. From the moment Christ ascended into heaven, he said he's making his appeal to the world through the church, through us. We're it. God wants to reconcile the world to himself. And he gave us the job of seeing that through. So let me just say, praying for your neighbor is not enough. Being concerned is not enough if it doesn't lead you to action. You are the ambassador of Christ. You represent him. He went to the worst extent to show his love. And we struggle sometimes with just talking to our neighbor about Jesus. If the three names that you listed earlier are going to believe in Christ, it will be directly related to how you represent Jesus if they're going to accept Christ. If that's the case, how do you make the appeal? Let's just put a pin in that for just a second, and I want to give you some stats real quick, okay? Um, The first is that Medina County, 50% of Medina County today has no affiliation with God in any way. 50%, that's the latest stat, 50%. 50% doesn't go to church. And so in reality, every two people you see when you're at the grocery store or the ball field or wherever, every two people that you see and you meet have no religious affiliation. Recently, Lifeway discovered something in in their recent research, and that is this. 70% of people who do not attend church agreed that there is an ultimate purpose and plan for every person's life, 70%. These are people that don't know Christ. These are people that have no religious affiliation. 70% of them say, you know what? I think there's an ultimate plan and purpose for every person's life. Here's another one. Did you know that only about one in five would accept an invitation to come to church if it came through a church member knocking on a door, or a TV commercial, or a postcard, or a Facebook ad. Only 20% of people will come to church through unsolicited means, like driving by and seeing a church sign. I know we've got somebody here that that happened to you. You're in the 20%, right? 20%. Now catch this. 51% said that a personal invitation from a family member or friend would draw them to church. 
51%. So of the people in, that, that you have a sphere of influence in, catch this. If you asked them to come to church, you got more, you got better odds. It's 51 than 49. You got better odds that they'll come with you. 51% of them would say, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Now it gets even better. Listen to this. Only 11% said they'd change the subject if faith came up in a conversation. Forget even asking them to go to church. 89% said they are willing to talk about their faith. These are people that don't know Christ. 89% said, I'm willing to have that conversation. In fact, they said they wouldn't change the subject if you brought it up. Isn't that interesting? About 9 out of 10 people would talk about faith with you. Ecclesiastes 3.11, to me it makes sense. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has set eternity in every human heart. They want to know. The issue with the church failing today is that we think that outreach is the department of the church. That there are people in the church that, that knock on doors. That there are people in the church that take care of making sure the community knows what we're doing. People at the church take care of that, not me. But only 20% of the population responds that way. Only 51 respond if you ask them to come to church. But 89% will say, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Evangelism isn't a program of Medina Naz. It's not just Pastor Pete's role. Getting them to church helps, but that's not the sweet spot either. The greatest impact is if you personally share the gospel and you need to be prepared to do it. You say, okay, how do I do it? Well, let me just tell you that I believe preparation plus opportunity equals moments. Preparation plus opportunity equals moments. When preparation meets opportunity, moments are created and they're special. First, be prepared. First Peter 3.15 says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Every person that's called on the name of Christ, you have a story. You have a story of transformation, how, how, how God did this in your life. Do you know how to articulate your story? You know, people can argue and debate scripture. They can argue and debate morality, social stances in the world, but what they cannot debate is your experience, right? I can, listen, whether I believe in the Bible or don't believe in the Bible, okay, I can debate, I can debate what the Bible says, but I can't debate what God did in your life. That's your experience. I have no debate for that. In fact, Revelation twelve eleven says, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, you may remember in John 9, 25, there's this individual who had been blind since birth. And there was a religious conversation about the man that Jesus was. They were trying to debate his theological validity. And, and, and it reaches this culminating point where the man says, listen, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. I don't know. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. That's all I can tell you. Every person who's accepted Christ has a one thing I know story. I don't know what else to tell you except this, right? I was this and God helped me become this. Don't just write it out, but work on it. Practice it. Uh, parents, do your children know your faith story? Share it in small groups. Ask someone if you can share it with them. Know where to find the scriptures to lead someone to Christ. Uh, do a Google search for the Romans Road and you'll find plenty of ways to ensure that you know the scriptures to lead someone to Christ. Make sure that you're prepared to tell your story. Um, if anybody's interested, I, I've got a tool that I've used for a lot of years. Um, you can go to the district website, find NCO District 
uh, org. You can find my email. Send me an email. I'll make sure you get it. It's, it'll take you a little bit of time to work through. By the end of it, you'll have it down to a three to five minute story about what God has done in your life. I'll be happy to put that tool in your hand. Second, so be prepared. Second, look for opportunities. Ephesians 5.16 says we're supposed to make the most of opportunities because the days are evil. So the three people that you put on your list, how do you interact with those people in your daily life? Where do you see them? How do you know them? How can you create more moments with them? Take the three people on your list and right now think about how can you have an opportunity to share Jesus with them? And ask God to make you creative. Ask him to make you creative in how you interact with them. Maybe you want to invite them to coffee. Maybe you want to talk to them when you see them outside in the yard. Maybe you want to invite them over for a meal. Maybe you want to send them a text just to tell them you prayed for them. Maybe you want to tell them that you like spending time with them. Look for windows in their life to bring the conversation around to Christ. But you won't have those moments If you're not talking to them, you won't have the opportunity. So just think about for just 30 seconds how you interact with those three people and how you can create more opportunities. Three people is probably just a start. Uh, There'll probably be more in your life. Um, And I would say this to you. um, If you're not familiar, anybody ever heard of Bless Every Home? I mean, you you, got to go to Bless Every Home. You just have to. BlessEveryHome.com, Okay. BlessEveryHome.com, this is, this, is, this is how cool it is. You go to BlessEveryHome.com, you type in your address, and then Bless Every Home uses the public data that's available and tells you the names of everybody on your street, everybody in your neighborhood. It's the coolest thing ever. And then every day, if you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a disciple maker in my neighborhood, in my area, then if you claim that and you say yes, Every day they're going to send you the name of five, names of five people in your neighborhood to pray for. You know what else is so great about it? Is when you're walking down the street, you know the names of the people that are on your street, even that live six houses down from you or six apartments, whatever, away or whatever. You know their names, right? I, I, I have loved it because Bless Every Home gives me an opportunity. We have a pretty long street, and even the people at the other end of the street, when we're walking the dog, I, I, I get the opportunity to call them by name when I see them outside and really freak them out, right? Uh, how's that guy know my name, right? It, it, it really came to fruition, though. We, we had a lady in our neighborhood who lost her husband, and it was such a great blessing to take a meal over to her and to be able to say to her when Tammy and I showed up and we had prayer with her just to say, I want you to know, I've been praying for you for a long time. It was such a great thing that just, just happened in our lives. So it's a real, real, real great website. You need to check it out. So preparation plus opportunity equals moments. And then I just want to say seize the moments. Romans 10, 14. How can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they've never heard, if they've never heard about him? So you're prepared, you know your story, you know how to lead someone to Christ, you followed the Romans road and you're asking and seeking opportunity. Seize those moments that are created from your preparation and your opportunities. Those moments will reveal themselves around your story. I'm a firm believer that the best way to introduce people to God is to tell them what he's done for you. Remember, 11% of the people are the only people that would change the topic. 11%, you got good odds that they're gonna listen to your story. After you're done, ask them what they think about your story. Remember, your story is going to have an I don't know how to tell you moment 
I once was this, but now I'm this. Then ask them, have you ever thought about your story? Have you ever wished for a new beginning in your life? They may or may not accept Christ in that moment, but don't worry. You're building relationships, and the word says that his word never returns void. There'll be other moments in their lives based on your relationship, and God will provide the right moment. I would just say, we don't need God to tell us if we should do it. We already know we should do it. The enemy conditions us to be fearful of doing it. So, last thing I'm going to share with you today, and then I'm done. I've, I've got a friend. Uh, he, he would say that I am his best friend. I would say he is my best friend. I, uh, I got an email from this guy um, 11 years ago. I got an email from him. His, his email came because in the 20%, Pastor Pete, we had a billboard that he saw. And it, uh, it led him to send an email, the billboard that he saw. So in the, in the billboard, we, we had a service that we started called No Excuses. And no excuses was basically this. You tell us what your excuse is for not coming to church. And in 24 hours, we'll counter your excuse and tell you why it's not valid. So we were like issuing challenges. Give us a challenge. We'll take care of it. So he, uh, he, he sent me an email and this is what he said at the end of it. Pray for me. Don't pray for me. I really don't care. Uh, lot, lots of expletives in there. I know that God doesn't really care about me. My soul is as black as black can be. My family hates me. I hate me, and there is zero hope for me in this world, and I know it. So for three months, I emailed him. He would not agree to meet me for coffee or anything. Three months. We finally got together for coffee. Finally got together for coffee. And uh, it was clear in that moment that God had put us together to me. And I I remember praying, God, please don't let me blow this. Please, please don't, don't let me mess this up. In the midst of that conversation, a friendship developed. I'll never forget the day that he brought his family to church. And they went to the altar and he just cried and cried. He has, uh, over the 11 years, God's done some pretty great things in his life. When he was baptized, he, uh, he handed me all of these drugs uh, before baptism. And he said, I can't be baptized and do this. I know I can't. Um, I'll take that a step further. He uh, it wasn't just that. Uh, he, uh, he, he realistically um, came to church. I should tell you this because this will be important. On the first Sunday that he came to church, okay, I was watching my people. We, are people going to love him? Are people going to invite him? We had a meal afterwards. Are people going to invite him to sit down? I didn't know this until about two months ago. But he said the thing that sealed the deal for me was when I walked up to him and told him, you have a seat with Tammy and I at the table. We want you to sit with us. The thing that sealed the deal for him. You know what's interesting there? At first, I was really wanting my church people to ask him to sit down. But nobody ever did. Nobody ever did. And yet that was the one thing that sealed the deal for him. Huh. You know, uh, his, his, his daughter, uh, a little over a month ago, 22 years of age, got hit by a drunk driver. She's dead today. I, I want you to know that there is no way, and he knows this, and we've talked about it, there is no way on God's green earth that he could have made it 11 years ago. But he's being the leader in his home. God's blessing him, even in the midst of a lot of struggle. And do you know that he is, uh, just before that, had accepted 
a call to preach and a call to be a minister of the gospel. This is a guy who was so far gone by his own admission that there was no hope for his life. I'm not elevating myself there because I didn't know him. God positioned it to have him send me an email. I'm saying, I'm saying that when you're prepared and when you're looking for opportunities, God, don't let me mess this up. There are special moments that are created and they're not just created in their life, they're created in your life. I'm I'm pulling out of the doctor's office. I still, we were in Circleville before coming into this role and I, uh, I, uh, I still have my physician is in Circleville. I make the drive because I, I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus Christ. My son and I, for his last senior year football physical, were pulling out of his office. And I said to my son, Christian, I said, I want you to know that this whole thing about telling people about Jesus, it's great for them, but it's also great for you because these are some of the most special people in my life. And I wouldn't want to not have a relationship with them, right? I know this, if you find yourself far away from Christ, if you wonder where God is, if it's been a while since you've seen God move, there is something about sharing his name and love with somebody else that just unleashes his love in your heart. There's just something about it. If you find yourself drifting, Maybe look for someone to tell the story of Christ's love and you might just find that your heart is so filled with his love, the love you've been missing. It's a real world who has real problems and our only hope is in Jesus. And I think there are lots of moments, lots of moments that God can create if we're prepared and looking for opportunities. Would you stand with me today? Father, I want to thank you right now for just the privilege to be together I want to thank you, Father, for even this moment. I know that it's not happenstance. I know, Father, that there's nothing wasted in the kingdom. And so, Father, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to work, to guide, direct. I thank you for taking the frail words that came out of my mouth, Lord, and I pray that you'll do something with them. And I pray that lives will be changed even this week because of you. Father, thank you for this group Thank you for your love. Thank you for this church. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, is there anybody that would just raise your hand and say, I, I, I know, I, I, wrote, I wrote some names, and I know I've got to tell them about Jesus. Is there anybody? Anybody that would just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Father, I pray that you will empower that admission today. I pray that you go before every conversation that's going to happen. I pray for every person that raised their hands, Father, that you will give them the words to say. You tell us in James 1.5, if we lack wisdom, we should ask you and you give it generously. Give them generous wisdom. May your name be great. May you use us as ambassadors of your name. And may people come to know you because we dared to tell them about your love, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.